Welcome to CCO Podcast, calling college students to serve Jesus Christ with their entire lives. Good afternoon. It's really good to be here with you. Um, can you hear me okay? Give me a thumb up. Okay, awesome. Uh, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Jubilee. And uh, good to have you all here this afternoon. My name is again, Hejin Shim. Uh, I'm a lawyer practicing civil litigation and business law in New York and New Jersey. I have been practicing law for about 16 years and Eight years ago, I also became an entrepreneur, as Michael uh, explained, um, when I started my own law firm. I started my law firm with the vision of a cultural renewal for the legal industry, starting with a redeemed law firm culture. I'm also a co-founder and the CEO of Embers International, which is a nonprofit organization that protects, restores, and empowers the victims of human trafficking and intergenerational exploitation. I'm also the team leader for New York City Advocacy and Mobilization Team for International Justice Mission, the largest anti-slavery organization in the world. So today, I want to share a little bit about what God has taught me throughout my legal career, and hopefully it will be helpful for those of you who are considering uh, becoming a lawyer or pursuing a law school. As a background, um, I was born and raised in South Korea and had the privilege of growing up as a Christian. Uh, yet as, as a um, young a person, the story of the creator God and the savior Jesus Christ was compelling to me. And that's really by God's grace. But I did not know what it meant to deny myself, take up the cross and follow Jesus in a professional life outside of my private evangelical pious life. So um, I grew up in Korea. And then when I was about 16 years old, I came to the United States and went to high school in New Jersey and then went to college in New York City. And in my uh, late teens and early 20s, as a mature college student, I thought, you will laugh, I thought I was a superhero. And I kid you not. I thought I could save the world and make a big difference. Who among you can empathize with me? Well, due to this very baseless pride on my part, I neglected to do something very important in my college years. I did not care to ask questions. Ask questions about the world that is unfamiliar to me and different and seemingly far from me. Immediately after graduating from college, I found myself without money, without a job, without a home, and without a purpose. So it did not take much time for me to realize that I was, in fact, not a superhero. I couldn't even take care of myself. So in this very humble and desperate state, uh, God began to do his work in my life. In my struggle, by God's grace, I began to understand the height and the depth of the love of God the incarnate God, Jesus Christ, that Jesus loves me unconditionally, completely and perfectly, as we're all taught in Sunday school, when I was just dust and had nothing to offer to him. Right now it's at Lenten season, so it's quite appropriate for me to actually remember this time when I felt and understood and believed that I was dust. So in my early 20s, I realized that I had a very skewed view of God's love 
as a, a transactional one. I thought God created me so that I could do something for him in this world, that I had something to offer to him and how wrong that was. In fact, God does not need us. God does not need any one of us. Yet, out of sheer love, God created us. And his love is extravagant beauty. God does not need us to complete him or prove him. He simply enjoys us. So for the first time, I experienced the transforming power of God's grace and found my worth not in my accomplishment, not what I can do for God, but what God has done for me. So after laying the proper foundation as to my identity in Christ, God began to show me a glimpse of his vast heart for justice. In 1998, um, some quite a while ago, I participated in World Vision's campaign called 30 Hour Famine. And this is a campaign where you go, you fast for 30 hours and then you raise awareness and you raise funds to help those suffering from hunger and at the time in Africa. World Vision uh, had a video presentation showing the African children suffering from malnutrition and starvation. That particular video, however, also showed the children in Sierra Leone in Africa suffering from civil war. Back then, Sierra Leone was a very dangerous place and uh, the militia would attack a village. And even when the village people did not resist the militia, they will kill all men in the village in front of their wives and children. Uh, it was very tragic and very violent. And this was done to show off their power and just to instill fear in the village people. And as if there was not enough, they will take all the children in the village and cut off the limbs of the children. And just to get a little glimpse of the trauma that they had to suffer, I'm gonna share a screen with you. So this is a little child uh, that lost a hand. And the World Vision video presentation showed the children who are victims of violent crime. These children lost their arms and legs and had no way of um, being protected. They had to live as disabled, not because they did anything wrong, but because someone simply wanted to show off their power. The faces of these suffering children were imprinted in my heart at that time, and I could not stop crying for them. I knew the Holy Spirit was doing something in me. What was happening was that God, in his amazing grace, was sharing a, a piece of his vast heart for justice with me. For the first time in my life, someone else's problem became my problem. The suffering of these children that I've never met became my problem. So now I had to ask questions to God, the kind of questions that I did not care to ask about the world that is unfamiliar and seemingly far from me. And God, in his mercy, began to answer them. So I enter into this incredible journey 
of Q&A session with him. So he went like this very briefly. Lord, I have a question. Why can we eradicate hunger, violence, and suffering in developing countries like Africa? We're sending more and more help and resources each year, but it seems like more and more people are dying and suffering. It does not make sense to me. And of course, back then, I thought the problem of suffering and violence could be solved by a simple math equation of input and output. And we know that it's not true. And God so patiently and so graciously answered, I have given you, the government, the leadership, the power and authority to protect and take care of my people. But the people with authority are abusing the power and neglecting my people. Oh, so people are suffering because of abuse of power. But then what is power and authority? And God answered, in the present time, law gives the power and authority. Each nation has law authorizing the government the power to protect its people. And this power is not to be used for themselves, but for others. This power is about stewardship, caring for the people that I entrusted them with. Every nation has the law prohibiting murder and violence against your neighbor. Every nation has the law prohibiting exploitation and stealing from your neighbor. And these laws are not being enforced. So finally, I got it. These laws that provides the guidelines about the power and authority are being abused. And then I thought to myself, I am 22 years old. What can I do about this? So I asked God, what do you want me to do about it? It's a massive global problem. And it's me against the nations. And then his answer was very simple. I want you to seek justice. So I said, okay, well, how? How do I seek justice? And his answer was, you need to know yourself and know your enemy, and you will win all the battles. Learn the law. Learn how to use it rightly. Learn how to use it for my glory. I'm going to share, you, share with you this Bible verse. It's a famous verse. Um, if anyone is interested in justice, this is go-to verse, I believe. The famous Isaiah chapter 117, this passage, it says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And also according to Micah 6.8, God has told us what is good and what God requires of us, which is, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Only three things that God requires us, which is, again, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And the very first thing that God mentions is to do justice. The Almighty God of the universe commands us to do justice. And if you look at these Isaiah and Micah and other passages throughout the Bible carefully, this command to do justice is not limited to lawyers or people working in a specific field. It is given to all of us, the humanity. So that Q&A session followed by the Isaiah and Micah passages brought me to law school. 
And then that was followed by my work at International Justice Mission, my law firm, now Shimano Associates, and also my nonprofit organization, Embers International. And this has been 22-year journey of seeking justice and loving mercy as a lawyer and as a follower of Christ. Seven years ago, I went to India for the first time and met in person those who are victims of violent crime, like the children whose limbs were cut off by the people who are abusing their power in Sierra Leone. And these were women and children who were trafficked into brothels to become slaves. In a notorious red light district of Mumbai, India, I went to a brothel as undercover and met the woman who had been in slavery for a decade and her child, a six-month-old baby who was born into a brothel, and this child has a destiny to become a slave, just like her mother when she grows up. The faces of the woman and her child were once again imprinted in my heart. And in response, I co-founded Embers International to seek justice for them. Embers International serves the marginalized of the marginalized, in particular, the lowest caste called Dalit in India, who are the target victim of human trafficking. We also do prevention work by empowering the children with the primary, secondary, college, and graduate level education. And these are the children in the slums in the red-like areas so that we can prevent intergenerational exploitation of the children living in poverty. And uh, during the pandemic last year, uh, India underwent the largest lockdown in the world. And in the beginning, nobody knew how to help the poor who had no access to food and life essentials. They were essentially locked in and could not get out of their community where there's no shops and no money. The poor living in the red light areas and the slums were impacted the most, and they were fearful of dying from starvation more than dying from COVID. And by God's grace, our Embers International's team in India was able to start delivering food to the poorest areas of Mumbai, India within 72 hours. And we have provided over 1.2 million meals in 2020 alone. So now back to my law school days. I went to law school and God began to expand my understanding of law and justice. When I went to law school, I learned for the first time that there are really diverse areas of law. There are laws governing contracts, corporate governance, family, immigration, healthcare, employment, financial regulations, mergers and acquisitions, environment, nonprofit corporations, wills, intellectual property, and beyond. And it seemed to me that uh, law is applied to almost every facet of human life, just knowing the area of law. And so my eyes got really big and I wonder why we have so many kinds of law. And at the same time, I knew instinctively that God, who is sovereign over all, is also sovereign over all areas of law. And according to Abraham Kuyper, a Dutch theologian and former prime minister of Netherlands, he said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, our Lord, 
who is sovereign over all does not cry, mine. And Jesus says, everything is mine. So if so, if I truly believe that Jesus Christ cries out mine over all facets of human life, then I must also believe that Jesus is the Lord over all areas of law, and he actually deeply cares for them. So I have to ask fundamental questions about what law is. And of course, you know, we can look up the dictionary and then dictionary definition of law is that it is a system of rules which regulates the actions of people. But really, what is law? Why do we need it? Where did it come from? So I requested another Q&A session with God. And this session was much longer. To teach me about what law is, God first directed me to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Very familiar chapters for all of us, I'm sure. Probably one of the most read chapters of the entire Bible. And in this creation story, I learned that when God created the world, he also gave us the first set of law. So I'd love to unpack that with you. In his creation of the world, God brought forth form out of fullness and filling from void. And we all know that. During the first three days, God created the forms, the structure. God created the light from darkness, creating the structure of time. God created expansion, separating water above and water below. So we have the structure of space. And God created dry land and vegetation. So we have diverse geological structure. And during the following three days, God filled the forms or the structure by creating sun, moon, and stars, which are the agents that reflect light and have the authority to rule the day and the night, the time. And he also created the birds and the fish and the animals to fill the water and the sky and the dry land. And to the birds in the sky and the fish in the water, God commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. That is, God commanded them to flourish. With this command, God showed them how they could flourish in this very diverse environment by giving them specific rules. The sun and the moon are to rule the day and the night. The fish is to live and multiply in the water. The birds are to fly and flourish in that space. Vegetation is to become food for the animals. And although they are not written, these rules were clearly understood and followed by all creation. These rules set forth their authorities and boundaries with one another. What about when God created men? At the time of creation, we know that God's relationship with men was clearly established. And I'll share the verses from Genesis 1. God is the creator and the word of creatures who are given the, a lifelong work of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it. That's Genesis 1 verse 28. In order for men to accomplish this joyful work, God gave specific authority to men as an image bearer of God to have dominion over the fish, the birds, the animals, insects, and all the earth. 
That's Genesis 1, verse 26. And God wanted men to be his agent, caring for his creation for flourishing. And being an agent happens to be a legal relationship. There is the principle of God who gives an agent of his choice, the power and authority that belongs to God. In today's legal term, God gave his power of attorney to the mankind. At the same time, God declared man's authority over the earth so that the earth, the counterparty, understood to be cared for by man, who is an agent of God. So this power and authority given to men is not to be abused or to be used for men's benefit alone, but to be stewarded for the benefit of the entire creation. Since this power and authority originally belongs to God, who is the principle, it should be used according to what God would do, not what we want to do. Because ultimately, we would not want God to abuse his power and authority and oppress us. So we also see God defining the roles of men and women to help and love each other. God also gave men the right to eat every plant and fruit as their food. But this particular right was not unlimited because it came with a restriction, an exception, a carve-out provision. Men were not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Like this, in the beginning, God defined the roles of each member of his creation, gave authorities and restrictions, and set forth the rights and obligations. This is the first set of law. This law clarified the relationships between men and the earth, between men and women, and between men and God. And without these clear roles, authorities and restrictions, rights and obligations, none of God's creation could flourish because it will lead to chaos, brokenness, and ultimately death in these relationships. And this law was given to help all creation to have a harmonious and flourishing relationship with one another and with God. And as we all know, when the first set of law was fully followed, there was fullness of God's glory manifested in every member of his creation. That was Garden of Eden. In short, the first set of law was given to the creation so that it can flourish as God originally intended. And this law was good. This law was pre-fall of men. Under this law, the creation enjoyed the peaceful, orderly, flourishing state that we call shalom. And borrowing from another theologian, Mark Ornick, shalom means much more than the absence of conflict. When we use the power, dominion, and authority as a stewardship. So the content of shalom is the presence of right and harmonious relationships leading to flourishing before the Lord. And this shalom is accomplished when everyone sees and treats everyone else in humanity as the image bearer of God with honor and dignity. Then the earth is filled with love, therefore filled with God's glory and beauty. And this shalom that the creation enjoyed in Garden of Eden was not everlasting, 
Because in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve broke the law by eating the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Sin entered the world because now everyone started to determine his or her own standard of what is good and what is evil. And therefore, it broke all relationships, including our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with the earth. Now, what do we do about this brokenness? And we also know that to restore shalom, Jesus Christ, our great advocate, came, died on the cross, and resurrected, conquering sin and death. By this, we know that Jesus fulfilled the law to restore all relationships. Jesus fulfilled the first set of law and all laws. And with this understanding of the first set of law in God's creation, I, again, began to look at this diverse areas of law that we have today. All of these laws also involve some type of relationships. For example, employment law governs the relationship between employer and employee. Contract law governs the relationship between the contracted parties. Other laws govern the relationship between buyer and seller, debtor-creditor, government and its citizen, merchant and customer, doctor and patient, and so on and so forth. And all of these laws define the roles of each one in the relationship and set forth their rights and obligations and authorities and restrictions. And under these laws, there's no one whose authority is limitless and whose obligation is without certain right. And these laws clarify how we should be and live and act with one another in this complex world. And I realized that God deeply cares about all of these relationships and the law can have tremendous impact on all of these relationships, setting forth the guidance as to how each party can store the power, authority, and resources well for each other. So when the law is properly applied and enforced, it does two things really powerfully. One is to rectify a broken relationship so that the victim can be restored and the wrongdoer can be restrained. This is restoration and restraining. The other is to help the parties to store the power, authority, and resources that is given to them to make a harmonious and flourishing relationship. In fact, all laws have uh, and are designed to provide the guidance for both stewardship and restoration. As a business law attorney, um, I counsel companies and business owners in their business dealings so that they can have successful business that creates many opportunities for their employees and the economy. I love when my clients ask me to draft a contract for them because it's an opportunity for me to make what, what I call a beautiful contract. For example, let's take a situation where a company hires a restaurant 
to provide catering service for its events. Most of the time, unfortunately, the company and the restaurant, respectively, think about what they can get the most out of this business relationship. A lot of times, the most benefit at the expense of the other party is what each party is seeking. We live in a broken world where that seems to be a norm. Sometimes the parties will be very reasonable towards each other and come to an agreement of mutuality. And when a mutuality of terms is reached, it seems quite remarkable and successful. But God of the Bible teaches us something different, something radical, something seemingly extravagant. What if each party begins to think for the other party? What if the company, instead of asking for more from the restaurant, begins to ask what the restaurant needs to accomplish its service? What if... The restaurant begins to ask about the company's needs before demanding its own right. What if we have a contract where not only mutuality is achieved, but also each party looks after the other party's interest? With, of course, the caveat of maintaining the wisdom and faithful stewardship. Then, God's greatest command of loving your neighbor is is lived out in this business relationship, and it will inevitably result in a flourishing long-term business relationship. And that is a beautiful contract. From our covenant relationship with God to our social institutions, shalom is God putting back together a broken world. And lawyers are called to be an agent of God and to practice law in each sector of our social fabric, and to partner with God in his work of putting back together this broken world. So we need more lawyers who love and fear God, working in the criminal justice system, in private sector, in nonprofit sector, in financial industry, in healthcare industry, advising large corporations, serving small mom and pop shops, advocating for the vulnerable, counseling the powerful, making good laws in government and everywhere. So shall we recap? What are the two things that law does really powerfully? One is helping relationships to be harmonious and flourishing. And the other is rectifying and restoring broken relationships. And these two workings of law can be summed up in one word. And this word is mentioned throughout the Bible. And what do you think it is? Maybe I can give you 30 seconds to put it in the chat. Do we have a chat room? Oh, Sheila, that was too easy. Yes, you are correct. That word is justice. So justice shown in the Bible is from two Hebrew words, mishpah and tzedakah. So let me share the screen. 
So mishpah is rectifying and restorative justice. It means punishing wrongdoers and caring for the victims of unjust treatment. This concept is not as simple as it seems because it requires us to advocate for the vulnerable and change the social structure to restore the victims. In Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3, it says, do justice, do mishpah and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. So I want you guys to imagine a person who's been wronged. Once a person is wronged and is in need of restoration, we cannot possibly go back and fix what happened. The fracture has been made. A true restoration is, is to be made new, more beautiful and valuable than before without hiding the fracture, but pouring gold into the fracture. And this idea of restoration sounds extravagant, but that is precisely what God requires of us. I want you to imagine a child from an impoverished community. This child is trafficked into a brothel. The restoration for this child does not end when the child is rescued from the brothel. We would not call that restoration. We would not call that justice. Restoration is complete when the child is not only healed from the trauma and the perpetrator restrained, but also this child is empowered to be what he or she desires to be when this child is made beautiful again. And this journey is called in an art form, Kintsuki. I'm gonna show you some ceramics that were once broken. These ceramics were broken, but instead of being thrown away, it was made new, not by hiding the fractures and putting back, although it's impossible trying to put it back to the original, but instead of doing that, this ceramic was mended and became more precious and beautiful by mending it with gold. Gold was poured into the fracture. This ceramic was also broken into pieces and became kintsugi'd and made new. And all of us actually have experienced this kintsugi because when Jesus, when we were sinners, when we were broken, poured his precious blood into our fracture and now made us new creation. And I want to show you a two minute video showing this kintsugi how, and how it can be a powerful message of restoration restorative justice of mishpah, especially to fractured relationships.
these um, kintsugi uh, ceramics in this video um, is showing the kintsugi master Nakamura-san in the Six Dimension Cafe in Japan, um, where we, we can find these beautiful kintsugi um, uh, ceramics. But this is more than just an art form. And this really shows uh, when mishpa, the restorative justice is done right, is done complete, how it can make things new again as we are new creation in Christ. I'm going to go back to the other screen here. Okay. And then the other word for justice in the Bible is sedequa. And this word is often translated as righteousness in English. When most modern uh, day people see the word righteousness in the Bible, they tend to think of it as private morality, um, such as perhaps sexual chastity, diligence in prayer, Bible studies, and doing your evangelical uh, pious life. But in the Bible, Zerokwa actually refers to day-to-day -day living in which a person conducts all relationships with fairness, generosity, and equity. Zerokwa refers to a life of harmonious, beautiful relationships. And these two Hebrew words are often tied together in the Bible. In Psalm 33, verse 5, for example, it says, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The Lord loves Sedaqua and Mishpah. The earth is full of his unfailing love. And I love this verse because this shows that when righteousness and justice is accomplished, that this earth is going to show God's unfailing love. And both Mishpah and Sedaqua have a foundational assumption, which we believe it believed to be true. That assumption is that all humans are created equal as the image bearers of God. And therefore, we are to treat each other with love, dignity, and honor. And this foundation is written in Genesis 1 and 2. Therefore, lawyers have a significant role to play in bringing both Mishpah and Sarakwa into our broken world. We know God deeply cares about justice and therefore commands us to seek justice. For lawyers, this command is God's invitation for us to partner with them in restoring our client's broken relationships and helping our client to have beautiful, flourishing relationships and bringing shalom into this world as we await for the return of our Lord Jesus, our great advocate and counselor. What God has required each of us to do, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God, this is a lifetime commitment, and it requires radical and extravagant love for our neighbor. And I hope you are encouraged to pursue a legal career in any area of law with a little more understanding of what it means to be a lawyer as a follower of Christ. As a last note, um, one of my favorite artists is Vincent Van Gogh. And he said, I quote, 
I feel that there is nothing more truly artistic than to love people, unquote. And I want to interpret it as him saying, I feel that there is nothing more truly beautiful than to love people. When lawyers represent a victim of injustice, create a beautiful contract leading to a flourishing business relationship, counsel people in power and authority and with resources to store all of them well, and make laws that create equal opportunities and protection for all. We are doing the work of justice and that will lead to the earth full of God's unfailing love, glory, and beauty. Thank you for listening.